0: Hey, Jerry. I have a question for you. Okay. Do you and your family celebrate any non-standard or made-up holidays or events specific to your family? Do you have any, okay. like, annual traditions <clears throat> or things that you do that's specific to you that's kind of risen to the level of, like, this is as important as, a, as one of your standard holidays?
1: The closest I can think is maybe Christmas Eve. What do you do? Uh, So we have this tradition where we will, the the kids will get their first gift, but we watch Polar Express, and uh, so they always get uh, cookies that I bake the day before, and then hot chocolate in the the scene where they have the the (sighs) waiters coming, hot, 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 chocolate. (laughs) And and even with my, my teenager, my oldest, he still gets excited about it. And he told me that that's what he looks forward to every year. That's really cool. That's really cool. I think so.
0: Every year, so for our family, every year, starting in January, uh, I go to uh, the website of the Southwest Florida Reading Festival, in which uh, the library system here in Southwest Florida hosts, it's always, I believe it's the first weekend in May, the first, no, March, the first Saturday in March, they host this uh, Southwest Florida Reading Festival in which they invite authors from all over the country to come and do either panel discussions or individual presentations to uh, interviews about their writing, about their works. And they, they, by January of each year, they always announce who the authors are. So in, in January, I'll go to the Southwest Florida uh, website or app. And then I will uh, look up the, the the authors. At that point, I'll get a whole bunch of books that would seem appropriate for my different kids' age levels. Uh, and then we read them. And then each of my kids gets to choose at least, gets to choose usually one book that we'll order from Amazon ahead of time because the authors that are at the festival then sit for uh, signings mm. where they'll they'll sign your book. Very cool. And so yeah. we've been doing this. Since the first year we moved here to Southwest Florida, so I think 2024 will represent, yeah, it will. It'll be the 10th year, so it'll be our mm. decade doing this festival, and it's risen in family, uh, you know, in our family, it's risen to the level of like holiday. Like we set aside time, we uh, invest the Very money cool. in buying these books, we and and we always put it on the calendar in a way that means that uh, nothing else gets to be scheduled on that day. and If something else is scheduled on that day, then it gets bumped because (laughs) it's reading festival day and that is more important. And the reason that I bring it up, this whole idea of family holidays, non-traditional celebrations, is because from the day this podcast drops, this podcast is going to drop on Friday, October 20th, the very next day, October 21st is one of these non traditional holidays. Do, can you guess what it is? Uh, I'll give is you a it, is it. Is it
1: Back to the Future Day? It is
0: Back to the Future Day! Woo-hoo! That is right. That, that is right. October 21st every year is, in fact, Back to the Future Day. Now, do you know why October 21st is Back to the Future Day?
1: Isn't that the day he goes back?
0: Yes, that is the date he goes back, October twenty first, uh, nineteen fifty five. That is the day he goes back, and so every year on October twenty first is Back to the Future Day. And uh, this this year in particular, and I suspect probably every year, uh, Fathom okay. Events and other you know organizations put the movie Back to the Future back on the big screen. So, you can actually watch Back to the Future. So, if you're listening to this on the day it dropped on October 20th, Friday, tomorrow, Saturday, October 21st, you can go back to the big screen and see Back to the Future in the movie theater.
1: I think I need to get my
0: tickets (laughs) now. As you can tell, then, today's episode is about Back to the Future. Cue the theme music. No, not that theme music. Our theme music. Sorry, wrong button. (laughs) (laughs) This is episode number five. Back to the Future Origin Stories. Origin story episodes are ones in which Jeremy and I talk about our relationship with a particular franchise, tell stories from our life about how and why this franchise is important to us, what we love about it, or or how it connects to us. And then, and so it's Back to the Future Origin Stories and part one, because the wheel of random episode selection determined that we would discuss part one the first movie back to the future in today's episode so that's coming up but first let us share a little bit about our origin stories with back to the future i'm going to kick it over to you jared because i've been doing most of the talking so far
1: so what's not to love about back to the future it is one of the great sci-fi trilogies uh, uh, of the 80s i think of all times I think I relate so much to Doc Brown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah? Okay. Probably, probably from his days at Taxi. <laughs> Christopher Lloyd in Taxi, where he developed that that slightly maniacal, insane personality that he carried over into, into Back to the Future.
0: For our younger viewers, Taxi was in fact a television sitcom that ran in the 70s that sort of brought Christopher Lloyd to fame because he was one of the stars in that in that television show, developing a
1: very quirky, unique character uh, in that show. <laughs> so I think one of my earliest memories of Back to the Future was... I could tell you it was probably 87, 88. Back to the Future started showing up on... on TV because it came out in, uh, was it 85, right? Yes. yes, 1985. Eating dinner, watching the movie, and uh, loving it as a kid. And of course that's, you a couple episodes ago we talked about the toys and things like that where uh, you would get the toys to, to play with as a kid and that was a, a very strong connection. I had some Back to the Future toys Did you have the Uh, DeLorean? I did actually have the DeLorean. Oh, I'm jealous. It was was actually kind of a hand-me-down from uh, from a friend, but it was, you know, every boy likes playing with toy cars and and having the Back to the Future DeLorean was just the chef's kiss icing on the cake. But the other thing that also got me was the music. Let's be real, that, that music is just something that, like, Jurassic Park. It it gets you deep in your soul. Uh in fact, one of the the memories I have about that music is being at my grandma's house and she loved listening to uh Evening with Pops. Oh yeah. So on, oh, yeah. on um the on Yes, yes, the right? Boston Pops. Yes. yes. And they did they they did one where they played the entire score from Back to the Future. And me being astonished, because this is the, the, the early mid nineties, and being astonished that they would do something so modern, and it wasn't until years later that I figured out, oh, pops. That was pop music, popular music, so uh-huh. uh uh uh-huh. and Well, it's
0: uh, funny you mentioned, it, if you don't mind me interrupting you a little yeah. bit, it's funny you mentioned the, the score and the music and how important it is, because um, in preparing for this episode uh, you know, I got to learn more about it in, in preparing our info facts and things and I discovered that uh, Back to the Future is still alive and kicking uh, very much so because not only are there the original movie trilogy and the animated TV show that came out back in the 80s as well, but there is also now a musical, a Broadway musical Back to the Future, <laughs> the musical that is brand new it just came out it ran in London in 2021 and has now just premiered on Broadway this past August just a couple of months ago from the time of uh, this recording I read specifically in one of the reviews of the musical I read that when the beginning when the overture for the musical starts the crowd spontaneously started cheering because the overture to the musical is the same as the theme music for the movies, because the same composer Alan Silvestri did the musical, the move the music for the musical, as did the music for the movies, and that theme, like you were saying, it's just so intertwined with the 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 IP with the with the with the content that. You hear that theme and and it just takes you right there. And the other thing I discovered was there is a website called backtothefuture.com that is dedicated to the franchise. I I suspect it's run by the franchise. But in addition to Back to the Future the Musical, there are also now, there is this touring production called Back to the Future in Concert. And what they do is put the movie on a big screen and they have a full live orchestra play the music in sync with the movie (laughs) so while you're watching the movie you get to listen to a live orchestra play the music it's called back to the future in concert and if any of them had been anywhere near where we live i totally would have spent the money to travel to see that because it sounds extraordinary
1: i i wonder if if they even do the the transition from the the Chuck Berry to the heavy metal too. That uh, that would be great to listen to.
0: I I I wouldn't it wouldn't be surprising to me. It sounds amazing.
1: I wonder also if the musical is gonna take on a cult status. You you said that they started cheering when, when the opening score played. I wonder if it's gonna take on that cult status, kinda like Rocky Horror Picture Show, where people dress up and they, they get actively engaged with the, the production. I don't know if that's something that they would do on Broadway, but no, don't. I don't
0: think that's the Broadway. But I think, but I am almost certain. I unless I hallucinated, which I rarely do, uh, <laughs> I am almost certain that I read, I have read in the past where there were have been productions of Back to the Future that do the that have the Rocky Horror uh, treatment, where people where they have actors come up on stage in front of. The film being played, just like Rocky Horror, and they have people running around doing it. You know, wearing the the red, the red puffy vest, <laughs> and wearing the white coat with the big white wig and all that. I am certain that I have seen that somewhere before, and I went looking for it and I couldn't find it. But that's where I found this in concert thing. But I also know that there are, um, and I didn't track these down either. But I know there are at least one, if not two, documentaries mm. about how long lived the Back to the Future franchise is and, and movies. And I'm almost certain that it, maybe it was in the trailer to one of those documentaries that I learned about the fact that in, in specific places, they have hosted these Rocky Horror style <laughs> acting to the movie to Back to the Future, which I think is a pretty amazing and would
1: be super fun to do, to do as well. <laughs> I I'm totally down for that if someone wants to get that started I will be right there with you. One of the things about back to the future though that that I find myself at least in my head quoting certain parts of the movie. I, so I I do a lot of uh manual work. I do air conditioning. Southwest Florida is a great place for that. But if if something is you know getting hung up on something like that uh, you know while I'm working or something gets caught I find myself saying hey you get your damn hands off her Hey you get your damn hands off oh, I think you got the wrong car fly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, or the, the the one thing that also goes through my head is no you bastards <laughs> No bastards Those kinds of things stuck in my head that that I don't think there are very many movies that actually do that for me quite like Back to the Future <laughs> The quotableness it, it is infinitely quotable yes. uh, and uh incidentally that movie was also the reason why I bought one single pair of calvin Klein underwear didn't like them <laughs> but I wanted to see what all the fuss was about <laughs> wow so you had an intimate relationship with back to the future franchise yes I no longer have those underwear though <laughs> I'm sure everyone needed to know that <laughs> Oh, my god! But uh, Back to the Future holds that special place for me where it, I know uh, the younger people in our, our, our audience, all three uh, listeners out there, that uh, they wouldn't understand flipping through channels to try and find something to watch. But Back to the Future was one that if I were flipping through channels, it doesn't matter whether it's just starting 30 minutes in or, you know, five minutes to the end. I'm watching it. It is, it just, it, it bears re-watching and re-watching and re-watching.
0: Our Wheel of Random Episode Selection Discussion. And we'll begin as we do every episode with Info Facts. This movie, Back to the Future, originally called Back to the Future, renamed Back to the Future Part 1 later on, was directed by Robert Zemeckis, written by Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale. Colloquially, they are known as the Bobs. Bob Zemeckis is what he's known known by, even though his credit is Robert Zemeckis. So it's the Bobs, Bob Zemeckis and Bob Gale. It was starring Michael J. Fox, Christopher Lloyd, Leah Thompson, and Crispin Glover, produced by Steven Spielberg's own Amblin Entertainment, distributed by Universal Pictures. With a release date of July 3rd, 1985, a running time of 116 minutes, with an original budget of $19 million. According to BoxOfficeMojo.com, it currently stands at $383,336,762 in box office take. So, they they did well. Let's just put it that way. Uh, Other franchise elements include Part 2. Back to the Future Part 2, which premiered in 1989. Part 3 premiered in 1990. Back to the Future The Ride, which opened at Universal Studios in 1991. There was an animated TV series that ran two seasons, had 13 episodes each. That was also in 1991. And we've already discussed Back to the Future The Musical, which just opened on Broadway August 3rd, 2023. After a couple of years in London's West End, and uh, and I also mentioned the Back to the Future in concert events, uh, which are which are currently running. Synopsis. really need to give a synopsis of Back to the. F- Has anybody not seen Back? All right, spoiler <laughs> yeah. alert. If you haven't seen Back to the Future, what are you doing? Pause this now. Go watch it. Come back. But just to remind everyone, in case it's been a while since you've seen. What I decided to do for this episode was, rather than write my own synopses, why reinvent the wheel, I, just, I, I figured, you know, online, a lot of people have gone to the trouble of writing synopses already. Specifically, I am a big fan of IMDB, the Internet Movie Database, as it was known in the ancient days, before it dropped the original name and just became IMDB at IMDB.com or in the IMDB app they provide multiple synopses written by users of IMDB. And so uh, this, uh, I, I kind of fell down a little internet rabbit hole of uh, of checking out different synopses and they are kind of fascinating. So I, I, I thought I'd share three different synopses written by different users oh, on IMDB. Lord. All right, <laughs> here's the first one. This one is written by an IMDB user who has named himself Official synopsis. That's his. That's his IMDb username, <laughs> and he has written the. He has written synopses for two hundred seventy-five films on IMDb. Here's official synopsis. Synopsis: Marty McFly, a typical American teenager of the eighties, is accidentally sent back to nineteen fifty-five in a plutonium-powered DeLorean time machine. In quotes, I don't know why he put time machine in quotes, but quote time machine end quote. Invented by a slightly mad scientist, during his often hysterical, always amazing trip back in time, Marty must make certain his teenage parents to be meet and fall in love so he can get back to the future. All right, that was not bad. I thought that was not bad. This one, you know, I, I, I enjoyed that. I really like the callback to the title of the movie. Uh, the I, I really like the often hysterical, always amazing trip back in time. Thought that was kind of fun uh, commentary there. Here, let's do the second one. This one is by an IMDb user named RECB3. I don't know if he's a droid, but uh, mm. <laughs> RECB3, who has done 203 synopses on IMDb. Here's here's uh, here's their their synopsis. A male high school teenager accidentally finds himself in the past in a time machine that was invented by a scientist. He now... I'm sorry, I just, that sentence amuses me. <laughs> so much of that sentence is like, well, how else would that happen? But anyway, he now has to find a way back to his own time with the help of the past version of the scientist while making sure that his parents get together to not be wiped away from existence. That was that one. That was a little condensed. Barry, that was very reader's digest, that one. <laughs> Here's the third and final one. All right, third and final synopsis. This one is from a, an IMDb user named Rick, uh, Nick Reganus. Nick Reganus. So if, I, if I'm mispronouncing that Nick, I apologize. Um, he has done, get this, on IMDb, he has written 7,982 synopses. Nick is
1: big in the synopsis game Yeah, I think official synopsis needs to do a, uh, <laughs> a, a little catch-up work. Yeah, there, man. Yeah, you know, yeah. Come on, get with it. Yeah, Nick has him uh,
0: beat. So here is Nick Reganis' synopsis. Hill Valley, California, 1985. Destined to follow in his wimpy dad's footsteps, average high school teenager Marty McFly is about to make history. And when his crackpot scientist friend, Emmett Doc Brown, fashions a time machine out of a 1982 DeLorean DMC-12, Marty inadvertently jumps back 30 years to do the unthinkable. But things were different in 1955. Like a fish out of water, Marty gives his all to keep the time-space continuum intact. However, unforeseen romantic complications Stand in the way of a safe return. Now, a pressing question arises: What will it take to go back to the future?
1: <laughs>
0: so, I, I, I it might have been a little redundant to read all three, but I, I found them interestingly different enough. Just to, that, that just second to, one sounds like apart.
1: it was written by Chat GPT. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Rewatch reactions. We We rewatched part one the original back to the future. Jared, what did you think?
1: You know that it it does still hold up. At least to me, it's one of those movies that I can watch and rewatch and rewatch uh whether it's on TV or in my head. You can you can definitely get the uh feel of it that it, you you understand that it is a very 80s movie and it has a very idealized view of the past, but they weren't trying to go for any major social commentary so it's it is still a very very fun watch it's like i said before it's one of those movies that it doesn't matter if it's five minutes in or five minutes left i'm watching it i think the closest thing they came to uh, any kind of social commentary was towards the very end when he rides into hill valley uh after going forward in time you know drives Drives a Delorean into uh, the adult theater, (laughs) and the uh, the homeless guy was crazy drunk drivers. It has a certain quality to it that it doesn't have to stay fresh in order to be a fun watch it's infinitely quotable and that that music just kind of gets you deep in your soul Uh, and and I love that the music holds such a big part in that film in general too Uh, you know one of the opening scenes where he's going and plugging his guitar in and cranking that amp all the way up and then strums a chord and blows himself across the room. Music in the loosest sense possible, but it kind of gives you a a little bit of a a background on on, or context as to what's going to happen later on in the film, too, with the battle of the bands. And then when he goes back in time, uh, playing up there with the uh, at the dance, and while it's not front and center in the movie, it's still music is a very big part of that film. I, I honestly I'd rewatch it again too. And again. And again. And again. And again. <laughs> Any more? <laughs> and again. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, I got to I got to say I I love this movie. I love this movie and and absolutely it is uh it is one of those movies that that is just so rewatchable. And I think it it stems from some of the things that are just really make a movie iconic that make a movie, you know, everlasting, right? Like you think of movies that are like timeless that you watch over and over every year after year. And sometimes they're made unintentionally. Like I don't think they intentionally meant uh, to make a timeless classic movie with this. But they did. Unlo- you know, you think of other, other movies like this, like uh, The Princess Bride, mm. another timeless mm-hmm. classic you can oh, watch yeah. over and over again. Or, or like Elf, right? Um, and like like I know, for instance, the uh, the director of Elf, um, Jon Favreau, he specifically intended to create a timeless classic that could be watched over year after year after year. You know, being a Christmas movie obviously lends itself to that, you know? Another classic Christmas movie that lends itself to timeless viewing over and over again, Die Hard. You I know. knew you were gonna say that!
1: <laughs> I knew you were gonna say Die Hard!
0: <laughs> but, but I think what, what I think two things, for me, two things make it such a timeless, rewatchable classic, Back, Back to the Future. For one, it is the performances. Mm. The performances of each actor is so specific. You know, mm-hmm. and so um, indelible. You know, from Michael J. Fox is uh, easy, light charm and and concern. His obvious love of Doc Brown and his just just the sort of the perpetual incredulity that he brings to everything. Like like uh, you know that 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 wonderful scene that everybody thinks of of like George. McFly sitting at the soda shop and like the and like Marty just sort of leaning forward and looking at him with these super wide eyes as he realizes, holy crap, this is my father sitting at this counter as a teenager.
1: What? You're George McFly.
0: Yeah, who are you? To uh, to Doc Brown and and Christopher Lloyd's wonderful eccentricities, you know, from Great Scott! Uh, Great Scott! Great
1: Scott! Great Scott! Great Scott! Great Scott! Great Scott! Great Scott. Great Scott. Money, come in. Great Scott. Great Scott. <gasps> great, Scott. Oh, great Scott. 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 I know, this is heavy.
0: You know, just the 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 so quotable and so, you know, to Leah Thompson. And yes. going from the, you know, at the beginning of the movie, the super repressive mom who's like girls don't ever do that you know and and telling her daughter all the things that she should never do because a proper young lady doesn't do any of those things to then later in the movie being a total horn dog who does exactly all of those things you know from the smoking to the asking boys out to the (laughs) to the kissing in cars you know the whole thing it's just wonderful just the performances are are so good um and and that carries through not only through the, the the other two movies, but then also carries through into other incarnations of the franchise. So mm. the animated series, I remember that you know they there was not all the same actors, but the actor but the voice actors in the animated series could you know could mimic the per- performances and portrayals even to the point of the the current, musical Back to the Future the musical on Broadway you the the original cast recording from London is available I I listen to it on Apple Music because I have Apple Music and it's wonderful how the these actors 25 years after the movie came out you know nearly 30 now years after the movie came out can recreate wait what what year is it Jared it is uh, 2024 and when all right 40 years arithmetic is not my thing shut up (laughs) i'm sorry to make you feel so
1: old nearly 40
0: yeah exactly thanks a lot give me an extra decade anywho this long after the movie came out (laughs) that actors on broadway can sort of recreate the performances and the choices great
1: scott marty I've just become the world's first time traveler! A time machine? A time machine? Whoa, 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 wait a minute, Doc. Are you telling me that you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? Well, if you're gonna build a time machine into a car, why not do it with some style? I'm the architect of TikTok tech. I frequent fire on a cosmic trek. I sorted through the quarks and quirks, and for once I know what made a thing that really works
0: to Crispin Glover I mean talk about unique performances Crispin Glover does again does that super you know Crispin Glover-y kind of weirdness he brings to it but it so works with the the uh, the anxiety riddled super fearful George McFly that he portrays so I think the performances is one thing and then I the other thing that always brings me back to Back to the Future is the plot The The plotting is so well done. And what I mean by that is, and this this goes, actually this connects directly back to my reference to Die Hard. Because one of the things I love about Die Hard is how every little breadcrumb that is dropped in the beginning of the movie, every element at the beginning of the movie, from, you know, in Die Hard it's like, why does he take his shoes off? Because he had this random conversation with a guy on a plane and then that becomes a big thing because he's barefoot later on. Similarly, with uh, Back to the Future, you know, there he and Jennifer, Marty and Jennifer, are in the park, and uh, Marty's handed this. You know, this woman comes up and is demand, you know, is asking for. Save the clock
1: tower! Save the clock tower! Save the clock tower! Save the clock tower! Mayor Wilson is sponsoring an initiative to replace that clock. Thirty years ago, lightning struck that clock tower, and the clock hasn't run since. We at the Hill Valley Preservation Society think it should be preserved exactly the way it is, as part of our history and heritage. There you go, lady, there's a corner. Thank you. Don't forget to take a flyer. Save the clock tower.
0: Hands Marty this flyer that then he crumples up and sticks in his pocket. And you could think that that would just go away, but then that flyer in his pocket becomes a crucial plot point to, in 1955, when Doc Brown's like, 1.21 gigawatts? What? There's yes. nothing that could create that kind of
1: power. <laughs>
0: this sucker's electrical, but I need a nuclear reaction to, to generate the 1.21 gigawatts of electricity. 1.21 gigawatts! 1.21
1: gigawatts! Great God! Maybe you could just buy plutonium from any drugstore
0: in nineteen eighty-five. <laughs> That's
1: right. But the you know, and then
0: the flyer provides the answer. So the, the tight plotting, the, the fact mm. that they they interweave the the past and the present and going back to the future. It's just all so wonderfully tightly done. Nothing is wasted is I mm. guess I guess the, the another way to put it. You know, like every minute uh there's nothing wasted in in terms of scenes or elements or or pieces you know from the him having the hazmat suit to being able to scare george wearing the hazmat suit to then the hazmat suit looking alien being on the cover of his dad's book at the end of the movie you know the <laughs> whole thing the, right, there's yeah. nothing wasted all the plotting is so tight and so fun that you're like you know that that when you first watch it it's like oh oh, I remember that, or oh, that. And then later on, as you're re-watching it, and you see the flyer get crumpled up in his pocket, you're like, oh, that's coming back. I remember that now, you know. <laughs> so it's just so much fun. I think those are the two things for me that sort of make Back to the Future so timeless and so fun. And it's funny, you know, I think one of the things that makes it such a classic and fun and and rewatchable is the fact that it is so fun. Mm, that yes, it's not yeah. it doesn't take itself too seriously. You know, there's a lightness there. And that that really comes from Michael J. Fox's performance and is a really crucial part of the mythology of Back to the Future. Are you are you aware of um have you ever seen on Netflix there's a series called The Movies That Made Us? Have you have you ever had a chance to look at I, that? No,
1: I've not. I've not.
0: Check it out. Okay. It's fantastic. The Movies That Made Us is this series on Netflix that takes... There's so far, like, I want to say, like, maybe 14 episodes of the show split into these three little mini-series, seasons. Uh, But what they do is they go back to these classic films and they do a documentary-style retelling of what was happening behind the scenes to get the movie made. Mm -hmm. So they go back to the Mm -hmm. beginning of the development process through the filming through mm. the editing okay. through the release they don't talk about it really much after the release but it's all about how the movie got made okay so um and they do they do i mean it's like they do dirty dancing home alone mm. elf die hard back to the future they do a series of they do one of their seasons is like they do three or four episodes of horror movies so they do Friday the 13th and Halloween, and another one that I can't remember. Uh, and then they do, uh, I think they did Coming to America with Eddie Murphy. And, but it's just a wonderful series. They, but their episode about Back to the Future is fascinating because it talks about the fact that in the filming of Back to the Future, trying to get it made, they did something that almost no movie does. Which is, they had, they had their cast in place, they started filming, and then six weeks into filming I want to say it was like at least a third of principal photography in the can. They decided to, to fire their main lead actor and replace him. And, and what happened was they wrote, when they wrote this movie, The Bobs, Bob Zemeckis and Bob Gale, when they wrote the movie, they did so with Michael J. Fox in mind. Because through Alex P. Keaton in Family yeah, Ties, yes, the, yes. the TV sitcom from the 80s, Michael J. Fox was a big up-and-coming star, and they had his sort of sitcom persona in mind, and so they wrote it with him in mind. But because he was doing Family Ties and something else, he was, it was determined that he was just unavailable for the time to do a movie. So they, so they auditioned a ton of other uh, young actors at the time, and they, they landed on Eric Stoltz. Eric Stoltz uh, was cast as the original Marty McFly. And in this, and there are on the internet, and, and in this show, TV show, The Movies That Made Us, you can actually see little clips of of Eric Stoltz playing Marty McFly. Like the, the, the scene that I described earlier, of the wide-eyed Marty McFly leaning forward at the counter to look mm-hmm. at George, you can actually find that clip with Eric Stoltz as Marty McFly. And what's fascinating is Eric Stoltz um, read Back to the Future not as a fun, light comedy script. He read it as a tragedy. He read it as how tragic that this boy goes back in time and changes the timeline such that the life such that he goes back and now he has to pretend to have lived a life that he never lived. And he took it as like the tragic part and he took it very seriously. And his tone as an actor and as this character just was not working Mm. for the movie that the movie makers and everyone else on it wanted to make. Even to the point where if you see, if you look up the the Eric Stoltz clips, you can see that his costume wasn't a bright red puffy vest. (laughs) It was like a, a black denim jacket. So that's to kind of match his mood a little bit more. And he was mm. it was like a darker take on it. Mm. And so because one of the uh, producers of the movie, from the movie studio, pushed hard for Eric Stoltz, and frankly, the, the filmmakers, Robert Zemeckis, the director, and, and Bob Gale, the, the, his co-writer, they were not real sold on Eric Stoltz from the beginning. The producer said, okay, you're going to try Eric, and if he doesn't work out, you recast him and reshoot. And they were like, Okay. And so they took him up on it. And so they went to Steven Spielberg, who was also, you know, through Amblin Entertainment part of it. They went to Steven Spielberg. They said, This is not working. Look at this footage. Steven Spielberg agreed. And so they took it to the to the to this producer, to the to Universal <laughs> Studios, and they said, We're gonna we need to recast. And they figured out how to get Michael J. Fox in there and they reshot like a third of the movie. And uh, the reason that I brought this up was because the fun and lightness is so essential to the enjoyment oh, yeah. of Back to the Future that it just goes to show that the filmmakers knew what they, what they were making and knew what they, what they wanted. And that whole long spiel that I just gave you explains uh, an Easter egg joke from the movie The Flash. If you've watched the recent DC movie The Flash from last summer, that really tanked and wasn't a very good movie, quite frankly. (laughs) But the Ezra Miller movie The Flash, in an alternate multiverse timeline that he goes to, he said somehow Back to the Future, the movie is referenced, and it's Eric Stoltz is the actor in that alternate timeline in the movie The Flash. So now you know why that's extra funny. Because you're in the know (laughs) that Eric Stoltz in an alternate universe, was Marty McFly for about six
1: weeks. <laughs> <You> know, <clears throat> something occurred to me actually while you were talking there about what makes this film such a, a great film is that while it is definitely sci-fi, it, it, I mean it it is science fiction in uh, almost its purest form, really. But unlike a lot of the modern sci-fi or you know science kind of things that they had the special effects but they didn't rely on the special effects to tell the story they had it to augment it to to kind of accentuate it but the the special effects were not front and center in it it was it was the acting it was the timing in it it was the, the props in it, but not the special effects. They, they, you know, I mean, there's only a few really big special effects scenes in there. The first one where uh, he's holding the camera and the, the DeLorean's coming right at him. And just before it hits him, you see the the sparks flying and the, the neon glowing around the edges of the car. And then the, the, <laughs> the flame trails from the tires, which, it, every every kid that ever played with a, a toy DeLorean, you know, always tried to <laughs> imagine that in their head. If not actually tried, I don't recommend it. But <laughs> burning plastic hurts. <laughs> the The special effects that they used became part of that lore because they didn't rely so heavily on on them. They relied on that storytelling. They relied on the acting. They relied on the timing. The the understanding of what they wanted, and they were willing to wait for it like that. Take six weeks and say, you know what, dude, this this just ain't happening. And then find Michael J. Fox to get him in there. Yeah, they ended which... up
0: making a deal with Family Ties. He did Family Ties during the day. I did hear that and shot yes. Back to the Future at night. And yes. so so one of the one of the producers in the in the in the little docu series was like. I have no idea when that poor boy slept for that for that, that, that those number of months, but he he would come in and he would do all the Back to the Future stuff at night. I
1: I, I did also want to add that Doc Brown's house in in 1955. I love that house. <laughs> I I would love to have a house exactly like that. That that. that kind of mission classic the, style the brown Manor, as yes. it were yes yes <laughs> absolutely
0: my origin stories with mm-hmm. back to the future i'm pretty sure i saw all 3 in the theaters because they were they were just a especially part 2 and part 3 i must have seen part 2 and part 3 in the theaters because they were they were like when i was like you know middle school high school early high school um, it would have been perfect timing, you know, for for just for going to see it. I don't have solid memories of it, but what I do know is that it's a movie that I've always owned. You know, we've uh, in VHS and then in DVD and then in Blu-ray and now in streaming on Apple iTunes. You know, I, I always have a copy of Back to the Future that I can watch whenever I want to watch it. That has been a constant of my life for the last many years. I'm not going to try and do math anymore. So. Uh, <laughs>
1: <clears throat> it makes us feel whole. Yeah,
0: that's right. That's right. And and it is one of those films that is regularly brought back into onto the big screen. The story that I want to tell for for my origin story for this episode is about how my relationship with the movie has shifted and just recently. And what I mean by that is I when I am watching a movie my favorite thing is to identify with particular with a particular character in the film, right? You mentioned yourself earlier in this episode that that you uh, that you had a, a strong connection to Doc Brown, right? I prior to recently, I had always, you know, as the main protagonist of the film, I would always identify with Marty, um, and I did that for or George, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I would do that in a in a, specifically from the young protagonist trying to figure out what the right thing to do is and and who to become, and all of that kind of thing, right and And especially the the teenage George, I connected to him because because I have always been kind of the nerd, the geek, the somebody who's not popular, who is was awkward with the girls. and and so as a young person I would highly identify with teenage George um, then after I found my Lorraine so to speak and got married and everything else I would uh, relate to teenage George uh, nearer the end you know like after he punched Biff and like found his Lorraine and like and like, uh, you know pushed the other guy away at the dance and then kissed Lorraine when I found my wife and and you know and we got together. That that sort of was the uh, uh, the powerful touchstone of the movie for me. Just recently, it was this past June. Back to the Future was on the big screen again. I'm not sure if it was for an anniversary or what it why it was, but I noticed that it was. And so I took um, I took my teenagers to see it uh, because they are big fans of Back to the Future. Uh, because we watch it in our house, and I've shown the whole trilogy to all of my kids, and they love it. Uh, so I took my teenagers to uh, to this big screen viewing, and for the first time, instead of most powerfully connecting to and relating to teenage George, I noticed, and I really, and it really got to me in an emotional way uh, that I related to parent George to the George and Lorraine from the beginning and end of the movie mm. instead of the teenager in the middle. And I think that obviously it's kind of natural. I was there with my teenagers, right? So I have now been a parent for nearly 20 years. And so uh, and so thinking about the relating to the Back to the Future story, suddenly I am more on the Doc Brown and, and adults side of the story then i am closer to the teenagers of marty mcfly and teenage george and what i ended up and and i'll be honest i started i got real emotional at the end of this big screen viewing of back to the future where i took my teenagers because when i connect connected with the the parent george i recognized that so much of the heart of the Back to the Future story is the consequences of the choices that we make, right? That Marty's intervention in George and Lorraine's story, in the way that it changed George, changed the future, so that George and Lorraine, as parents in the beginning of the movie, it's clear that they love their kids and they're doing the best they can, but they're kind of, but they're super struggling and they're really not, uh, you know, very, they're not very, they're not super successful from at least from a socioeconomic point of view. They're certainly not seen as very successful uh, socially because Biff is still, you know, just running roughshod over parent George and like taking total advantage of him and is a total jerk whereas then at the end of the movie George and Lorraine have made the choices. George has made changes to his own personality and confidence and choices the whole you can do whatever you want if you put your mind to it um, that's, that's, actually, that's actually a song now in the musical mm-hmm. um, but they are very successful. George becomes an author and they're really physically fit and they're not letting Biff get away with anything and Biff is now the the car you know waxer or whatever working for the car company and and it really got to me that I'm at a point in my life uh deep in midlife, so to speak uh still struggling with those those midlife challenges of what have I done with my life, how much of my life do I have left? how have my choices in life looking back over my young adulthood and 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 what I have done since I've been a teenager, it really got me pondering like, okay, where I'm at in life right now, am I more, and the the success that I have built and the choices that I've made and the way that my children are turning out are, am I more the beginning of the movie, George and Lorraine? Or am I closer to the end of the movie, George and Lorraine? And it really hit me uh, in the fields, in terms of I desperately want to be the end of the movie, Georgia Lorraine And obviously, real life is not as binary. it's not as you know, clean cut and and simple as all of that. Uh, but it but it raised those feelings for me in in watching the movie, and it really uh, deepened my relationship with this movie, with this back to the future. In terms of the consequences of choices, and uh, and parenting, and being older, and that sort of thing, and I think that, and and I think that's another aspect of why this movie is timeless, is because it it raises sort of fundamental human questions that we all struggle with, like what choices am I making, what consequences do those choices have, and how will that play out in the future, uh, which just gets expanded throughout the rest of the franchise. As host of this episode, uh, it was my responsibility to come up with the host surprise fun and for this episode, what I thought might be fun would be for us to travel back in time to 1955 find out a little bit more about what was going on in 1955. So I've provided uh, each of us with, both of us with some information on 1955. So I just texted to Mr. Jeremy, one (laughs) of the two back in 1955 posters that I found in a, a Google image search that lists a bunch of different interesting facts. I also brought with me Uh, I created, thanks to my aforementioned Apple Music subscription, a uh, little playlist of some of the hits from 1955, so I figured I would uh, sprinkle those in in between some of our 1955 facts. So for instance, on uh, on almost all of the back in 1955s that I saw, this song was uh, listed called Cherry Pink and Apple Blossom. (laughs) By Perez Prado and his orchestra. jeremy hit us with some back in 1955 facts
1: so back in 1955 born this year was bill gates chris jenner steve jobs rowan atkinson and bill nye the science guy that's mr bean isn't it rowan atkinson yeah Yeah, i had no idea that's mr bean yeah
0: all right let me hit you up uh news stories from 1955 The U.S., U.K., U.S.S.R. and France meet at a summit in Geneva. Rosa Parks refuses to sit at the back of the bus, breaking segregated seating law. James Dean dies in a car accident at age 26. Severo Ochoa at NYU synthesizes DNA and RNA-like molecules. Back
1: in 1955, our president was Dwight D. Eisenhower the average income per year was $4,500. What things cost. Gasoline was 29 cents a gallon. <laughs> <laughs> a Buick two-door sedan $2,395. Isn't that interesting though that that $4,500 was the annual income and a Buick was about half their annual income now? A new car can be as much as half again as much.
0: Oh yeah, and a yeah. new house. How about this one? Back in 1955, a new house cost ten thousand nine hundred fifty dollars.
1: Oh my goodness! So an, yeah, an air conditioner. <laughs> this is one I feel deep in my soul. Ah, there you go. One hundred and twenty-nine dollars and ninety-five cents.
0: All right, all right. Oh, here. Let's go. All right. Let's let us return to our 1955 playlist. This was also a big hit in nineteen fifty-five. One, two, three o'clock, four o'clock, rock. Five, six, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, rock. Nine, ten, eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock, rock. We're gonna rock. Around ten o'clock tonight, but shad black soin the house. I don't Those think there's anybody who probably didn't start singing along with that.
1: <laughs> Those were happy days.
0: <laughs> <laughs> nicely done, nicely done. Yeah. Let's see. How about, um...
1: 1955 Sports News Flash. The World Series champions were the Brooklyn Dodgers. In NBA, the Syracuse Nationals. In the NFL, the Cleveland Browns. And the Stanley Cup champions of the Detroit Red Wings.
0: Ooh, I have some additional born this year. Ooh. Dr. Phil. Bill Murray. <laughs> Julie Kavner. Stevie Wonder, ooh,
1: the top movies in 1955, Lady and the Tramp, Mr. Roberts, The Tall Men, The Sea Chase, and Love is a Many Splendid Thing.
0: Ooh, lovely. All right, another hit from 1955. you but i recognized that one immediately because <laughs> i lived in houston texas from third grade to seventh grade i learned more texas history than i did u.s history when living in texas they love their their texas pride and so uh that's that was from 1955 the yellow rose of texas
1: some more news stories from 1955 the vietnam war began on 1 november 1955 Disneyland theme park opens in Anaheim, California. The Tappan Zee Bridge in New York opens to traffic. General Motors becomes the first American corporation to make over 1 billion dollars. And the Detroit Red Wings win the Stanley Cup for the 7th time. Ooh.
0: I've got some 1955 slang for you. Are you Ooh. ready? <clears throat> Anything attractive was cherry. Oh, that car is cherry. cherry. Uh, if you were very happy, you were on cloud nine. If you uh, wanted to, if you were angry, you were frosted. Oh, I'm frosted by what you had to say there. And uh, if you don't want something, if you don't want to do it or you're not going to, don't, if you want to tell someone to don't do it, you say, ice it. <laughs> kind of related, you know. Hey, You're I'm frosted to, by that. Ice it.
1: <laughs> I'm gonna have to ice you now.
0: <laughs> and, then, and then a little zootopia reference. Uh and then uh and then finally, if something was okay, it was right-o. Right-o. All right righto Right
1: Alright. Right That was swell, Mr. Jerry.
0: <laughs> shall we have one more <laughs> shall we have one more hit? One more hit from 1955, another one that you <clears throat> probably recognize. and You Alone by The Platters and I realized I did not give appropriate accreditation to previous hits from the 1955 so The Yellow Rose of Texas was by Mitch Miller Rock Around the Clock was by Bill Haley and His Comets and of course the first hit, Cherry Pink and Apple Blossom by Perez Predo and his orchestra That basically brings us to the end of this episode. Normally at this time we would have the Wheel of Random, random episode, episode selection, selection. But next episode we are doing a different type. We are calling a one-off. Meaning that instead of taking a larger franchise that has multiple pieces to it from which to spin the wheel about we're just going to talk about one thing that we find really cool and fun, and that is Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves. So while we'll be discussing Dungeons & Dragons, we are specifically going to spend the entire episode next time talking about the movie Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves. So if you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's available on Paramount Plus or for purchase or rent wherever. Uh, And you can join our conversation with Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves. Encourage Everybody, if you have any questions about your own comments, your own origin stories in which you share with us your stories about why you love a franchise, we would love to share those on the show. If you want to record a voice memo and email that to us, you can email us at feedback at two guys and a com. That is all spelled out T W O A N D A G U Y S franchise.com. I did that again just because it amused you last time. Uh, twoguysandafranchise.com. Uh or visit us at twoguysandafranchise.com where you can send us a message or leave a comment on an episode post. With that, I'm Jeremy. I'm Jerry. No, wait, that's backwards. You
1: did it again.
0: <laughs> I'm Jerry. I'm Jeremy. Uh, we hope you have a wonderfully nerdy week.